Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast is provided by Jobiac, the industry's first recruitment marketing platform designed exclusively for Google for Jobs. For the first time, in-house recruiters can take advantage of the immense power of Google by posting jobs directly to Google for Jobs without the need for job board middlemen. Jobiac's platform encodes job posts to be read by Google and automatically post them in just three quick steps. Visit www.jobiac.ai to try it for free today. Just enter the URL of your job post and Jobiac will take care of the rest. For a limited time, Recruiting Future podcast listeners can receive 10% off the monthly price when they sign up. Just use the code RFPODCAST to claim your discount. The website again, www.jobiac.ai. And Jobiac is spelt J-O-B-I-A-K. <laughs> There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 160 of the Recruiting Future podcast. It's fair to say that a lot of people are working more hours than they used to the ubiquitous always-on connectivity of mobile devices and the sheer pace of change in the workplace means more and more employees are facing burnout as the boundary between work life and home life evaporates. However, there is a real conundrum here as in many countries levels of workplace productivity are actually falling despite more hours being worked. My guest this week is Joyce Moroni. Executive Director of the Kronos Workforce Institute. Kronos have recently done some research into this issue, and the results seem to suggest that there may be some radical solutions to the problem. Keep listening to find out more and to hear about the potential opportunities here for competitive advantage in employer branding and talent acquisition. Hi, Joyce, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for having me. My absolute pleasure. Could you introduce yourself to everyone and tell us what you do? Uh, I am Joyce Moroni. I'm the executive director of the Workforce Institute at Kronos. The Institute is a think tank that we founded in 2007 to examine workplace issues 
and especially those that uh, involve how employers can do well um, while also doing good things for their employees. Um, we try to focus uh, or we try to add focus on hourly workers because we think that's sort of an underserved uh, domain when it comes to thought leadership around workplace issues. Um, and we get a lot of our insight from surveys, uh, like the one we'll be talking about today. But I'm also fortunate to have a board of advisors of several dozen thought leaders around the world who are experts um, in the general domain of workplace issues. Now, you mentioned the the, the, the surveys and the, the, the great research that you guys do. Um, the, the, the one we're going to talk about today is um, some research you did into a topic that I'm seeing um, sort of being discussed more and more and more. Um, out, out in the world, which is the, um, um, the idea of people working shorter weeks. Um, could you tell us a bit about um, the research and um, some of the things that you found? Yeah, absolutely. So we did research this summer, July and August of this summer, uh, in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, India, Mexico, the UK, and the US, in which we were asking workers about their attitudes towards their jobs and towards their managers. And so we released a first, um, a first piece of this research uh, around September, um, wherein we, we talked specifically about how people feel about their workday, the length of their workday, how long it takes them to do, to do their jobs, um, et cetera. And we found some interesting findings. Some of them um, maybe even seem a bit uh, contradictory, but we found that overall about 75% of the people we surveyed say that they have enough time in their workday to finish their work. But even though that's true, nearly two in five work more than 40 hours each week and 71% say that work uh, can interfere with their personal lives. So there's a little bit of a, a conundrum there. If they have enough time to do their work, then why are they feeling overworked? But that was probably one of the biggest headlines we saw. And in terms of that finding about how long would it take me to do my job if I weren't interrupted during the day, about 45% of our respondents said that if they were not interrupted during their workday, they could get their job done in five hours or less. So overall, these findings point to something going on that suggests that people could work fewer hours than they do or spend fewer hours than they do at work, yet we still have a lot of people feeling very overworked or even burned out. I mean that's that's really interesting because um I, you know I think the 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 headlines that we see in in many countries in, around the world um are all about people working longer hours um um and their 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 work life and their and their personal life kind of you know blending together people sort of always being um always being on the clock as it were um what 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 are some of the what are some of the reasons behind those conundrums that you found um you know what what type of interruptions are, are people facing um you know why 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 are we all working longer hours if 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 we only actually have to work 5 hours a day well because of course in in just about any job one doesn't have the luxury of focusing solely on the tasks that you are responsible for so we did ask folks in this survey 
what was it that gets in the way of them um, getting their job done and, and what is chewing up these, these extra cycles. So um, what we found was that even though 71% of the workers in our survey, so this is in the aggregate across the globe, um, said they accomplished what they wanted to most days, um, almost 80% say they suffer from some level of burnout at work. So burnout being defined as feeling you know, disengaged, feeling uh, fatigued or even exhausted, uh, losing interest in the work and the colleagues, etc. So a great many people are saying, I'm having these feelings that I'm on the road to burnout. The number one um, reason cited for burnout was an unreasonable workload. So people may be getting that work done, but that doesn't mean they don't feel it's an unreasonable load. Um a uh, very close to unreasonable workload was just not enough time in the day to get the work done. Uh, 24% said a lack of skilled coworkers. So it's not about me. It's about my coworkers. And then another 24% said um, a toxic team or workplace culture. So I think that's, that's not new news. I mean, there's a lot being written now about workplace culture and companies competing to be great places to work. Um, and so the actual experience of being in that workplace every day and not feeling, um, not feeling rewarded, recognized, uh, collaborative with my coworkers, you know, sort of the flip side of a toxic culture um, we we're hearing a lot about that through other research, but it certainly sound, uh, came up in this research as well. And then the final reason for people cited for burnout, and I have seen this in other research we've done, um, as well as, as research done by others was unfair compens compensation. So you might say, well, what does that have to do with being burned out? And I think the compensation piece goes to people, really wanting to feel recognized at work and compensation is a pretty tangible uh, way that employers recognize people. So, 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 so obviously um, one of the things that that's coming across there is uh, really kind of around the, the, the level of productivity that, that, that people are achieving. So, you know, they're spending long, longer in work, but actually, uh, you know, not being as productive on their, on their, on their core tasks, um, um, as they should be. What, what, what could employers do to improve the situation? Because I know that, um, you know, a, a few, a few employers around the world have taken, um, you know, a, quite a drastic step of actually, um, experimenting with, with, with having kind of a very, very specific, um, four day week for people to, 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 to work with. Um, it, do, is, is that the answer to the question? Um, should more employers be doing that? Um, or what other ways are there that, um, you know, em employers could be getting the most out of their employees? Employees, but um, at the same time, uh, you know, not making them, uh, you know, work every every available hour in the day. Well, I think that there's there's a big it depends factor um, when you talk about uh, you know formalizing a shorter work week. So there there certainly are um, you know there's stories out there. There's one that got a lot of um, coverage this summer from New Zealand. Um, you know, we, we know about the 35 to a 35 hour work week in France, even though in our study, French people still said they'd like to work fewer hours. Um, 
So I think it's a blunt instrument to say, could we just impose a, a four day work week across the board? Um, we, we know that organizations are having, I mean, we're, the good news is in a lot of developed countries right now, we've got pretty low unemployment. I mean, in the U S our unemployment has not been lower since the 1960s. So, um, you know, organizations are really competing hard to get enough people, um, to get the work done that they need to. So they might be very challenged to then turn around and say, well, the good news is you're only going to have a four day work week. And there are a lot of jobs. In fact, the majority of jobs in the world require presence to do the job. So if you're a firefighter or you're a nurse or you're a retail store clerk, you have to be there to get the work done. Um, and that may or may not fit into a four day work week. However, what employers can do the several different strategies, I think employers of any size can exercise. And that is first and foremost, making sure that they are assessing um, whether or not the objectives they're setting for employees are achievable. So, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of our folks in this survey said, well, you know, my workload is just unreasonable. Um, so making sure that they're frequently revisiting what is it that we're asking people to achieve here and, and are these goals actually achievable? Employers can also remove obstacles uh, that get in the way of people being productive while they're at work. So, you know, whether that's investing in um, capital improvements, in, in newer, um, newer equipment, newer technology uh, that help people be productive at work, you know, that's something that, you know, organizations can choose to invest in or not. Um, making sure that you're checking in in a rigorous way with employee attitudes within your workplace. So we mentioned the toxic workplace before as a reason that a quarter of our respondees cited for or as something that gets in the way of their um, productivity. So making sure that you are measuring employee sentiment on a regular basis and not just measuring it, but really digging into the results to figure out what are the things that are getting in the way of people feeling productive and feeling great about working for your organization. Um, and I'll tell you in a specific example at Kronos where I work, uh, we have been on a many years long path uh, to really rigorously articulate and um, improve our culture. And as a result, we have won a lot of awards as a great place to work organization. And I think a lot of people would love to have those awards, but maybe don't really put the hard work into digging in and saying, sometimes when you ask employees how things are going, you're not going to hear the answers you'd like to hear. And you're going to hear answers that are going to require a lot of hard work to address. Um, one, or I'm going to say a couple of changes that we've made that I think that other organizations could emulate first and foremost was putting a big investment into supporting and improving the performance of our people managers. Um, you know, it's a very old chestnut to say that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. Well, they leave companies too, but the impact that an individual manager has on an employee is huge. That's your touch point to understand what your objectives are, how well you're performing, 
uh, maybe the trickle down channel through which you, you know, hear about what's going on at the company. So we've not only invested in a lot of management development, but we also have something we call the manager effectiveness index, where twice a year when we are um, surveying our employees about their experience at Kronos, uh, several of those questions are rolled up into uh, what we call an MEI score, Manager Effectiveness Index. Um, and managers who are underperforming on that index are coached and supported to improve their performance as people managers. And if they can't um, improve their performance sufficiently, they will be encouraged to seek positions uh, that do not require them um, to manage people. And in some cases, people will choose to leave the company, but we feel that strongly that a great everybody deserves a great manager. But if the company isn't defining what does it mean to be a great manager and holding people accountable for being a great manager, then it's an empty promise to just wave your hands around and say everybody deserves a great manager. Um, another thing we've done now, bear in mind that you know ours is pretty much a white collar environment where people can do their work remotely. This is not true for everybody. But we introduced unlimited time off a couple of years ago, which means that you still need to come to work and get your job done. But it means that we're not going to be counting noses. If you leave at 3 o'clock every Thursday because you coach your kid's soccer team, that's fine. Um, Based on you've had a conversation with your manager, you're clear on your objectives, and you're making sure that you can still meet your objectives. But we no longer have an arbitrary um, limit on how much paid time off an employee can take in a year. That limit for any given employee is established by collaboration between the employee and their manager um, to ensure that the job can still get done while the employee is getting the flexibility that they need. Um, a lot of people look at that and go, oh my God, how could you possibly do that? Like, is, are, are there just tumbleweeds blowing down the halls because everybody's, you know, like off all the time. And interestingly enough, the answer is no. Before we, um, implemented the unlimited time off, people were not taking their full complement of paid time off, which at that time was essentially, three weeks a year of vacation in additional to the, to the federal holidays. Um, since we implemented this a couple of years ago, people are taking on average two more days off per year than they were in the past. So although we have, I should have made clear, although we have unlimited paid time off, we do still ask people to track to report that time off so that we have the metrics to know what's going on. So in any case, people are taking on average about two more days off a year than they were before and still on average less than three weeks a year. So, you know, sometimes I think a lot of this boils down to recognizing that most people come to work want, wanting to do a great job. And if you treat them like grownups and treat them with trust and respect and do your best to remove obstacles in their path, uh, you're going to build a better employee experience and you're going to do better as an organization. 
You mentioned, um, yeah, you obviously mentioned, um, a, you know, a number of uh, different countries that you, you, you'd surveyed and, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the set working week in, in France and, um, you know, the average sort of uh, time off that people get in the, in, in the US. Um, were there any interesting um, regional differences you found um, in the survey or, 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 or is this kind of a, um, a, a global ph- phenomena where everyone is um, experiencing the same? thing uh yes um so one thing that was different in the uk was we asked a question about uh we asked everybody if their pay remained constant if their pay remained the same um how many days a week would they still choose to come to work and um the average across uh the worldwide sample we did was um 72% 72% of employees, you know, would, would take the four day, uh, work week. It was 83% in the UK. So I think maybe that the UK has a, a somewhat stronger, uh, pining for the shorter work week. Um, the, we also saw that, um, full-time employees in the UK were among the most likely to feel they don't have enough time in the day to get the job done. And this is interesting, not so much from this research, but we did some research in Europe um, about a year ago and looking at productivity differences between France, the UK, and Germany. And um, there's, I know there's been, I'm, I'm not as close to this news because I, I live in the US, but uh, I know there's been a lot of um, concerns in the UK about productivity metrics uh, fall, falling and, you know, what what could be done about it. I think it generally is also true in the UK that there perhaps has not been as much capital investment. Um, so investment in tools, in systems that can uh, help improve productivity. So, you know, I think that's something to continue to look at i know i mean i think your your government is all over this all already because you know given the the falling productivity rates in the uk um that has something to do has a lot to do i would argue with how engaged people feel when they're on the job um people in the uk again in this this older uh, research that we did if i can find the specific uh, reference here, but we, we did find that folks in the UK were, I think, spending more time outside of work doing work. Now that has something to do with, um, the ubiquity of mobile devices of people checking, doing things like checking email outside of work. Um, but I think people, individuals also have to look at their own, behavior at work when it comes to those same mobile devices. So, you know, most people now are carrying the internet in their pocket. And we found in this most current research, but we have found in prior research as well, people are spending eight, 10% of their workday on social media. So, you know, if you're spending an hour a day checking Facebook, texting with your friends, that kind of thing, you know, that's also going to, um, you know, that's going to hit your productivity, but it may also push you to end up doing, you know, the work that you didn't get done during the day um, on your personal time after hours. So uh, 
final question how you know sort of based on the the the, the global um insights you have from this survey what, what would your advice be to um I- I employers in terms of sort of using these insights to um help them sort of recruit and retain the the talent they need for their businesses I mean, in a, in a tight job market, I would say, um, you know, money, money is not enough. All the money is table stakes when it, when it comes to, um, encouraging people to leave where they are and, and come work for you. And, you know, people who are strong performers where they are, um, are, you know, likely going to be inclined to stay there if they feel like they're recognized, they're rewarded, their efforts are appreciated, so I, I think that um, creating a culture where people want to stay um, can be extremely powerful. And culture has a lot of drivers in it. It's giving people uh, adequate tools to do their jobs. It's, it's holding people accountable for the way that they treat each other. And it's really taking very seriously issues like flexibility. In our case at, at Kronos, you know, we have this unlimited time off. That has a lot to do with giving people the flexibility to have a life outside of work. I mentioned going to the kids' soccer game before, but people have child care issues. They have elder care issues. They have, um, you know, an, a, a need to go and uh, take care of a sick relative for a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, that's something that may be a little easier in an environment where work can be done remotely, but even in jobs, and again, the majority of jobs in the world where people are doing shift work and have to show up to do their job, um, engaging people in conversations about what shifts are going to work best for them, which hours, what are the days that they really can't work, paying attention to scheduling shifts too close together so that people end up fatigued or burned out. Um, these are all the kind of things that when you really get to the root of the recommendation, it's about acknowledging that people have a life outside of working for your company and the extent to which you offer them the flexibility to be successful in their personal life as well as in their work life, uh, is going to create a much more, um, a much better employee experience and more loyal employees. So where can people find um, more details on this research if they want to delve into the topic a little bit deeper? Why, they can visit us on the web at workforceinstitute.org and uh, you will find uh, there is a separate research tab where you can find uh, links to these um, studies and the more detailed data. Joyce, thank you very much for talking to me. You are very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My thanks to Joyce Moroni. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.
Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.